You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, my name is Curtis Nemechek, and I make DIY garden kits and handmade home decor for a living. Inspired by the lack of products on the market that met his needs, Curtis Nemechek co-founded Urban Minimalist and set out to create home and garden products that combine utility and style while satisfying his minimalist sensibilities. Here's my chat with Curtis Nemechek. Who are you and what do you make for a living? Uh, my name is Curtis Nemechek, uh, the co-founder of a company called Urban Minimalist, and we make a few different product categories, our main one being these different microgreen DIY growing kits. Uh, but we also do different like handmade concrete home decor as well as leather goods. So what inspired you to get into this? Yeah, because they're kind of niche categories. Yeah. Um, honestly, it's sort of like a combination of both mine and my partner's hobbies and interests where we find ourselves trying to buy something to sort of feed that need. And we're looking, especially within the Canadian marketplace, and just find that these products either don't exist, they're too expensive, or like they're not exactly what we're looking for. So we just decide to make them ourselves. So how did you figure out how to make these things yourselves? I mean, it, it's one thing to plant a couple of seeds, I guess. I yeah. guess anybody could kind of start thinking about that. But you've crafted things out of concrete, that's not something you just go out and do and just, you know, on a whim. How did you figure out how to do these things? I think uh, some like almost like the concrete or even leather goods stuff uh, falls from our background. Like as a hobby, I got into leather goods and I was making wallets for people in my family for Christmas and stuff like that. And then maybe some of the concrete element came from uh, my father and my uncles were in construction. So I sort of grew up doing construction, a little bit of concrete here and there, and then Max got into it in terms of home decor and was making his own small tables in his house with like copper wireframe legs essentially and I was like sort of like helping him make those and then paired with our gardening interests we just started making planters essentially. I was gonna say you don't you don't meet a lot of young guys who are interested in gardening. Yeah. Like how did you guys find your way to that let alone two guys who are buddies who go you know what we really bond over gardening. Um, I think I sort of follow under the stereotypical British Columbia person. I grew up there and always being out in nature, always having a giant garden growing up. So I love having plants around the house. So I think that, and being in Toronto, moving, I was previously in a pretty rural area, moving to Toronto, obviously not having a lot of space for your own garden. You bring stuff indoors. And then I sort of fell into what microgreens are because I had no clue maybe two years ago. And then it just sort of snowballed from there. And what are microgreens for those of us who are microgreen newbies yeah they're they're sort of like miniature versions of different uh, vegetables and herbs they grow typically anywhere from like three to eight inches tall typically like three to six smaller but they're just super powerful in terms of flavor and they're just packed full of like they're pretty much superfood they're full of nutrients and vitamins and and they're just incredibly flavorful flavorful a lot of people will like use it uh, for juicing or even just like adding it in as garnishes for their cooking or salads. Gotcha. So you're a couple of health conscious guys and you decide I'm, I'm going to sprout some of these things in my kitchen for my own use. Yeah. At what point do you take it from things that you made because they weren't available to, I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to start a store. We're going to start actually making these things for other people. How did it kind of transform from there? Yeah, I think it's almost two different paths met. You sort of have the hobbies of gardening and concrete home decor that we were sort of doing on our own. And then uh, sort of we both already work in a almost like a startup e-commerce environment um, 
so we wanted to be entrepreneurs ourselves, start our own companies, uh, sort of like set our own path. And so one of the biggest things that we both believe in is that like, you just need to do it. Like sort of a stereotypical Nike saying, just do it, unfortunately. But there's really a lot of truth to that. Like you could sort of ponder over different ideas and never do anything. So we just figured we're interested in this. There's a inherent void in the marketplace for these items. So let's create them and let's start. Yeah, let's just start our own thing and start moving with it. What was it about the market that there was a hole in there that you thought, well, I'm going to fill this. We've got something unique and different. Sort of two things. Canada in terms of e-commerce is really unique because it's incredibly small in terms of product availability from within Canada. Like there's tons of items you can get from overseas and obviously from the United States, but you're going to be dealing with the currency exchange and then like extra shipping costs. So there's a barrier to entry in terms of just higher cost. So I would say the second piece would just be that First of all, in terms of microgreen kits, typically what you see with gardening, and that's a whole side discussion because online gardening is really ripe for disruption as a market as a whole. But when it comes to gardening, especially microgreens, people typically are purchasing like 12 inch by 10 inch plastic, really cheap flats. And it's literally just for juicing. It's just for like digestive use. So you're pretty much growing and consuming. Um, we want to take a bit of a spin of that. We wanted to pro- provide like a DIY Anyone can have their own green thumb gardening experience while also adding like that aesthetic element that you can put at your home and be proud to have around. So it wasn't such an eyesore. Um, so definitely, I think, at least with the microgreen kits, what really separates us is that it's it's a pretty piece to have in your house. Right. See, for me, I, I just keep thinking of chia pads at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember doing those chia pads. Yeah. And those were gorgeous. They were really a piece of decor you wanted to show <laughs> off for sure. Oh, yeah. Like a little Lovely. hedgehog or a bunch of stuff growing out of it. Did it ever dawn on you that this that this might fail? Or does doubt ever creep in with you? Oh, 100%. I think you can kind of drown in it. And one nice thing about having a business partner like Max is like, uh, we almost have like a yin and a yang, where he will be a lot more proactive, maybe about both like uh, cash flow coming in. Because um, like, especially in a startup, you're going to put money in for maybe six months to two years before you see anything sort of coming back here and you're making a profit. Whereas I'm like, no, let's keep pushing when you start exploring other avenues. So it's really a bit of an ebb and flow between like as a team or even individually just trying to decide like how far do you go or like what's your proof of concept goal to say like this can survive in the market, this can be profitable, we should pursue it more. Um, But at the same time, you really can't be afraid to drop a product and move on. And have you guys done that? Uh, yeah, we, we've done it with a, a couple of smaller items, not yet with the microgreen kits, but even with those, like in terms of revenue, they make up the majority of our business, but it wasn't too long ago where we were considering, hey, um, you know, it's not working on this sales channel. It's not working on this sales channel. Uh, is it a viable product? Is it something that we invest more money into? Um, there's been some handmade leather goods, which we've just decided not to pursue anymore. Oftentimes with handmade products, it's like you get this unique, story behind it but from a business perspective you really need to budget in the labor you put into it and also the fact like uh, i'm really big on like analyzing opportunity costs it's like uh, both max and myself we have business degrees and so like our core competencies are in business they're in e-commerce and like being able to grow the business doing operations we shouldn't be spending 80 percent of our time manufacturing the products and packing them so it's a bit of a trade-off with that like trying to decide which products they're worth pursuing based on what we're best at. Right. And you've got three very different product sectors. Yeah. 
well, anybody else would have them running as their own businesses. In other words, what's the what are you hoping to achieve with each of these different things and, and, and the company as a whole? That's a great question because I think that's probably why there's different product categories that exist because um, obviously even when it comes to manufacturing or crafting, say, concrete products, it is a lot more fulfilling. It's like very experiential. Um, and that's something as a business where like we've almost had to take like an industrial manufacturing look at it and just like how can we mass produce it produce this how can we be as efficient as possible almost uh there's essentially like three or four stages to making concrete products that turn out well and it's like just how do we hammer them out in the most cost effective way while still creating a high quality product um where like obviously the microgreen kits they're not necessarily handmade like there's no manufacturing on our end but there is repackaging and a lot more kitting it is it is easier from and start to finish to get to the consumer so yeah i guess it it touches on like a big part of our business is like providing experiences to people. And I think uh, where we can provide the largest experience is definitely in something where someone can take a, like one of our drinking kits. We have like a portable coffee kit, an old fashioned cocktail kit or these gardening sets. And like they can take it home and they can sort of make it their own. And to some extent, like the leather goods and home decor items do perform that piece because they'll change your physical environment. Um, but they're not as interactive, obviously. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, and, and perhaps that will open up different avenues. But to your point, perhaps it's a it's also a question of the product and the channel. Yeah, don't be upset if one product isn't performing well on one sales channel because it might on another. And learn who your audience is and really just adapt and position your product and your company accordingly because uh, obviously, like especially with handmade products, people want to ha- hear a narrative and they want to see lifestyle imagery. But on other sales channels, they want my... They might want like clean cut white backgrounds uh, straight to the point. So definitely like analyze your audience and who you're trying to target and position your company and your products accordingly. What does it take to make each of these different pieces? What does it take to make a kit? What does it take to make a, a, you know, one of the concrete pieces and one of the leather pieces? I would say concrete and leather are pretty similar. You're literally taking raw goods. Um, we, in terms of concrete, we've like, uh, we've made our own silicone molds based off like, items we want essentially like a one example is like a soap dish where there's really not that many concrete soap dishes it's kind of they're all kind of niche products but like there's very few of them on the market so we essentially created a a prototype of a soap mold that we wanted molded it with silicone Um, that was maybe a day through the different curing process and then from there you mix the concrete pour it in let it cure you then need to sand it rinse it and then put a water sealant on and then maybe other protective barriers like cork or rubber feet. Um, Right. Keep it from slipping around and falling all over the place. Yeah. So depending on how efficient you are or like how big your batches are, it could take anywhere from, you know, 20 minutes, half hour in a life cycle of creating a product to an hour, depending on like if you're doing one at a time or if you're doing 20 at a time. I'm curious. What is it about a soap dish that you that you were unsatisfied with the soap dishes that were currently available on the market that you decided I gotta go and make my own soap dish? So what was missing from soap dishes and what does your soap dish do that solves this problem? In a funny way, we kind of sound like soap dish snobs now. Um, <laughs> again, this sort of aficionados, like I think, is the word we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. This this would sort of fall under a bit more of my partner's needs or interests sure blame the guy who's not here (laughs) oh no i don't i don't blame it at all but it's more that like he he's been getting really into like minimalist furniture almost like nordic style scandinavian furniture and uh 
and also like smartware, like, you know, like automated soap dispensers that are like hand motion, stuff like that. And I don't know why, but we were looking for something that we could pair with the toothbrush holder uh, that we created first. And it sort of made sense to be able to find another bathroom piece. And then you start thinking about what goes in the bathroom. And I have, we both have a big thing about always providing utility in one way or the other. We don't want to create useless products that sit on the shelf, don't have any use, sort of like a knickknack. Um, and a soap dish seems like it would be gender neutral. It could be provided to any household. So like, uh, yeah, we felt that like it was a bit more open to any sort of customer that anyone could see a need for a cool new soap dish to go with their toothbrush holder. So really it was the, the toothbrush, the soap dish is the gateway to the, to the toothbrush holder. Yeah, we were looking for something <laughs> and then paired with our existing niche home decor interests, we sort of just stumbled upon it and decided on it. Where, where are you marketing this? I know e-commerce. I know you're online. Tell me about that. How are you using different channels there? Yeah. Um, e-commerce is obviously, uh, I, I find it beautiful. Like that's my full-time job. Same with Max. We both work for different e-commerce companies. Um, but as an entrepreneur and as like someone who's starting their own company, it really removes a lot of barriers to entry that existed 10, 20 years ago. Like we don't need the overhead cost of a retail space. Um, you know, a lot of, online platforms like Shopify, for example, which we use for our website, like it's super intuitive, whether you're tech savvy or not to be able to start your own site, there's beautiful custom, like templated themes and everything. So, um, and it's really realistically just in our wheelhouse, like a lot more sales are happening online than in person these days. And like, that's just the trajectory, the way of purchasing. Um, and it's what we specialize in. So we figured we might as well start with what we do best. Right. So we, uh, we sell on, Amazon, Etsy, uh, our own website, and eBay at the moment. Um, and they definitely all have different customers um, or different expectations for customers. And obviously, one product might do really well on Amazon, whereas the other one does better on Etsy. And you definitely have to position your products accordingly. What are you doing to drive traffic? So in terms of driving traffic, Amazon... It's really its own ecosystem. We don't need to drive external traffic to Amazon. It's all about marketing and keywords ranking within uh, Amazon, uh, the Amazon platform itself. Um, Amazon is very volatile, but it could also have a lot of rewards. Um, Etsy is a really cool platform beyond the fact that it's handmade goods. Like I think it's a really underrated sales channel because uh, Etsy as a company really puts a lot of power into tools that they give you and they push a lot of external traffic like you'll find um if you come across like what seems to be a popular item on etsy then you just go and do a google search for say it was like a concrete mug you'll often find like google shopping feeds with se pushing traffic from google to their to their store so it's another place where it's really easy to get customers without having to be an expert in like Google AdWords or Facebook marketing. Right. Because they're doing a lot of heavy lifting, bringing people to Etsy in general. So those searches yeah. are actually generating the traffic that that's actually bringing them to the site. So if you happen to be offering that good, yeah, either that good or a related good, then you're, you're, you're in the game basically. Exactly. And what, and if you start a new shop, even within like the Etsy ecosystem as well, um, they do really cool stuff like editor's choices based on certain product categories. And all of a sudden you might be ranking and getting exposure to thousands or millions of people and you weren't even aware of it. So you can market within Etsy and now they just introduced stuff where you could do external marketing through Etsy as well. Um, and then when it comes to our own website, uh, we push like our product feeds directly to eBay. 
And then in terms of driving traffic to the website, uh, we're doing a combination of Google AdWords and Facebook marketing. Gotcha. So you, you guys have got a, a full e-commerce spread going on. You're channel specific in your activities and you're, and you're customizing your, your messaging on each. Uh, yeah. and, and you're obviously using whatever tools the platforms have at your disposal. So you guys are covered there. What about the real world? <laughs> That's sort of what we've been trying to get into. Um, yeah, it's sort of funny. It's like everything lives online right now. Um, and similar to how you found us through one of a kind, that was going to actually be our first physical point of sale event. Um, with that in mind, we're also going to do like other farmers markets and like Etsy pop-ups, stuff like that. Um, we're also in the process uh, more with the microgreen kits of getting proper band, like branded retail packaging mm-hmm. so that we could try to push storefronts and wholesale orders that way as well. Um, but to, to this date, we haven't been actually doing uh, like physical retail. That's interesting that that is the next step. And it, it makes sense. You got your toe in the water with what you guys are comfortable with, but you do have aspirations then to get whole, into wholesale, get into retail environments and certainly into the markets and, and in front of people, which is, you know, that's a nice mix in general. But again, time consuming. Yeah labor intensive you're going to be selective with them or you're going to kind of try a blanket i think we'll probably it makes sense to try to be selective at first not necessarily in terms of which retailer but maybe even trying to find a distributor with similar brands um like people who are doing other types of growing kits or eco or health conscious uh kits stuff like that right with that in mind too like talking on sales channel customers reacting differently gardening is very old school like up until recently i had never bought a plant online I, Even then, I don't to think this most day, people I do. Yeah. <laughs> most people go to a garden store because they want to see it physically there and alive, touch it, smell it. Um, so items, even like our, our microgreen kits, which are still straight seeds, I feel like people want to see it in person. They want to see what's inside. Um, so I, I think items like that or even like home decor items might sell better when you can physically see it in person and be able to imagine how it would fit in your own home. Do you think that the uh, that the explosion of and the wild west that is the cannabis world do you think that that's going to play into it all does that even roll over in any way i mean you're unregulated you're selling seeds Mm -hmm. they're highly regulated but they've got a whole lot of interest yeah it's funny you say that i don't think we want to necessarily get into like uh like grow your own marijuana plants but i do want to do cannabis seeds cannabis microgreens like they don't have any thc the cbd is so incredibly low that it doesn't even register but just again it's another unique microgreen that's really healthy for you hundred uh, percent. I want to do it. Um, it is still regulated, heavily regulated. Right. Your organization, is it just the two of you guys right now? It's just the two of us, the two of you and a couple of computers and <laughs> yeah. in our parents' basements. Hey, that's where everyone starts. Yeah. In terms of your, like things like your legal, your financial, obviously you don't have much in the way of human resources. Are you outsourcing that stuff? Are you guys handling those kind of things yourself? Um, so at the moment we're currently handling all ourselves. Uh, obviously a bit of a learning curve in terms of legal elements. Thankfully, we haven't had to step into anything where we really require any legal counsel. But in terms of like incorporating our business, for example, there was we obviously didn't know how to incorporate our business, what it called, uh, what it entailed, sorry, what it would cost. Um, but even then, there's some really useful and affordable tools online, uh, like Owner.com, O-W-N-R. Like it's a really like DIY, intuitive way to incorporate your business. I swear, it took us 20 minutes. Yeah, it, it's pretty wild. Some of these tools crazy. That are available, and they get you set up quick, 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 and and at least you can feel like, all right, I, I can check that off. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm glad I know financially and legally I'm an incorporated human. Yeah. My business is separate from my car or from my house. 
that was the biggest thing is like making sure we insulated ourselves correctly in terms of taxation. Like uh, the company needs to operate its own uh, entity and be able to stand on its own to two feet. So there's definitely a lot of gaps that we don't know. Like, you know, if it came to exporting to the U.S., there's obviously like custom rules and stuff. We'll probably have to do a lot of research on our, on our own and maybe even like get some consultation from people. Um, in terms of finances, we're running that on our own, just using, again, online tools like QuickBooks, stuff like that. But it wouldn't surprise me if, again, we'll probably need to get a, an accountant or a bookkeeper. Thankfully, we have a couple of accountant friends who might be able to assist or give a few tips. But I always say if, if you need an accountant, you're doing well. That's a good problem to have. And if you need a lawyer, you have problems. But generally speaking, you should get a lawyer before you got problems. That's, that's the one lesson I've learned along <laughs> my many roads. Um, so what does a typical day look like for you guys? Um, a typical day, we actually work together full time. Uh, different e-commerce companies. So that's sort of like our, you know, our nine to five. Um, and then from there, we usually go home and it's a combination. We're pretty lazy fair in terms of, we don't necessarily say like we need to set specific times that we're working on our business or X amount of days, uh, largely because like we aren't the same person. Um, you know, I sort of, I don't know, I might be thinking about it quite often. I, I'll just hammer into it as soon as I get home or late in the evening. Uh, whereas Max has a different schedule and like might have some social obligations. So it really depends. But I would say we're probably doing one to two hours a day after work right now. And then in busy seasons or when we're leading up to big like market events, for example, uh, one of a kind was really big where we were you know, bringing in all this inventory, getting uh, marketing materials, banners, literally building a physical booth. And that was probably two weeks straight of coming straight from our full-time job and just working the rest of the day on our own. Uh, side business. How do you kind of find some balance? I mean, one to two hours a day, that's a lot after, uh, you know, after a long day of work, let's say you go late at the office. How do you find a little bit of time maybe to hit the gym or yeah. out for drinks or whatever it is? Like, how do you guys recharge? Again, I, I think everyone's probably going to be a little bit different. For myself, I kind of fall into work and I'll disappear into it. So I need to make a conscious effort to put it almost like in my schedule that, you know, tonight, eight o'clock I'm done uh spend time with family or friends or call friend back home something like that but I I literally need to schedule it and it's like I need to take a break I need to spend time with people who've been supporting me and want to hang out and just not neglect that I have a life outside of work what do you guys learn so far that's that's uh, I know you're at the beginning of it but what have you learned that you might be able to pass on to somebody who's considering you know tacking on another two hours three hours to try and make something else at the end of their day I would say whatever product or service you decide to create and start selling, make sure it's something like that you're personally interested and passionate about because it could be a long time before it's sort of takes a turn where you realize like, Hey, this could be my full-time job. This can grow into something big. Um, at the same time, it needs to be something that like you really just need to have fun because it might not manifest into anything and you don't want to look back at it and say it was a waste of time. So, actually caring about what you're doing and enjoying the work itself, that's going to be the most important part. What about uh, mentorship? Is there anybody that is, is a role model or that's working with you guys to give you uh, a little direction along this way? Um, I wouldn't say there's any one person who's uh, mentoring us directly with the business or even on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but we've been lucky enough to work with, uh, I would say about half a dozen to a dozen people throughout the years within like our own full-time jobs. Um, and just meeting other entrepreneurs at like work conferences and friends who have started their own businesses as well and just sort of sharing best practices and like 
Like, what are they doing right? How can I do that? Um, and just using our own jobs, at, like our full-time jobs, as an opportunity to learn as much as I can, and as, as much as we can, I should say. Um, you know, we both have uh, our backgrounds are more in like operations and inventory management and logistics. Um, but one thing that sells your only way to make sales is through marketing. And like, if no one, you could have the coolest product in the world and the best website, but if you don't have any traffic going there, your business is going to fail. So that's been a big effort on both of our parts this year. It's like, uh, we're not social media people, but like, we obviously need to be active on social media. We need to learn how to drive traffic from like search engines and Facebook to our sites, interact with customers, engage with people. Um, so it's really just learn as much as you can and uh, be open to trying new things. And if someone has some advice to give you, you have nothing to lose by listening to them. So where can people find more about you? Um, our website is youminimalist.com. We're on Instagram, Urban Minimalist Co., Facebook, Urban Minimalist Co. And you can also check us out on Amazon. It might not work by searching Urban Minimalist, but you search up microgreen kits or toothbrush holder, you'll find us there, as well as Etsy. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us how you make a living. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Subscribe to Making a Living Show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more on the show, the guests, or me, visit makingalivingshow.com. You can follow along on social media at makingaliving1. And if you like what you hear, be sure to share the show with someone you know. Thanks for listening.